I think this is something I might regret later. Oh, you think? Look! Uh, this was the top question. Um, are you friends with Big J? It got like a ton of likes. Six months ago, it would have been an easy answer. Yes, I'm friends with Big J Okerson. Anything I should know before we start? Um, have an open mind. <laughs> you're, you're so fucked. <laughs> Anthony Jeselnik in the studio, and I gotta tell you, this is an honor to have you here. Oh, that's, it's a shock to hear from you. Uh, a shock to hear this is a studio. Um, but yeah, sometimes I just, you know, the, you know, the pandemic is ending. I'm vaccinated. I'm getting out there more. And sometimes I say yes to things uh, weeks so, in advance. So I caught you at the very perfect time, essentially. If someone's like, hey, can you do this tomorrow? A lot of times I'm like, no, I can't. But if you're like three weeks from now, I'm like, of course. And yeah. then three weeks comes by and I'm like, man, what was I thinking? <laughs> But not- I mean, we're here on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, in the studio. Mm-hmm. Really nice. Really put Thank together. You. I I put it together myself. Did you? Can you tell? I mean, put together is the wrong word, but I can tell that you did it yourself. I did. You see these lights? I mounted them. Mm. I'm a real handyman. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I, I have to admit, uh, before you got here, uh, I was a little bit nervous that you weren't going to show up and it's the closest that I've felt to going on a date with somebody since I've been married uh, because I was like is he, is he coming or you never know I honestly I've never missed one podcast except for once and it like it haunts me to this day that I missed it uh, Bomani, do you know Bomani Jones uh, I don't think so he's a sports guy he like on, he's on ESPN okay. one of my favorite guys and uh, he invited me on his podcast when I was in New York it's like a 10 a.m. thing and I'm like sure I'm doing Seth Meyers the night before and then I like that's done at 7 o'clock and I'll go to bed I'll be up and, and get there and then it turned into a live Seth Meyers taping because of the debates or something was going on yeah. State of the Union or something and so I get home at like 3 a.m. And I cannot get to sleep. You know how you're, like, you're jacked after a performance? Yeah, you're like, wired. Especially you after being on TV. Down. Yeah, I just couldn't get to sleep. Yeah. Fell asleep so late and then slept through it. Where like <sighs> they all thought I was dead. Like they're like when a comedian doesn't show up for something in the morning, like you don't think like, oh, he must have like fallen asleep late. They're like, he's, he OD'd. What happened to him? And for months, like my manager's like, are you okay? Is everything all right? And I'm like, I've never missed a show. I've never like I've never been drunk on TV. I, that's not true. But I've never like I missed one podcast and everyone thinks I have like a problem. And that stuck with you for a long time. Yeah, I had to like I I but Money Jones was doing cameos for charity like around the holidays and I made him do one forgiving me for for not being on the podcast cuz I felt I wanted to be friends with Bomani Jones. I yeah. was like this sucks. But for this thing I would have gladly thrown our friendship under the bus. <laughs> Uh, if you can even call it that, uh, a friendship. It's, we're pretty good friends. I enjoy our dynamic because we've shared the stage, uh, I'd say, more than a handful of times. Yeah. Uh, for like things like Kill Tony or... Um, roast Battle. Uh, roast Battle, stuff like that. Yeah. And we have a thing where like, I'm always like mean to other comics. I guess it's part of my, I'm not going to use the word shtick, but part of my thing. And when I do it to you, like people truly believe it. Like there's something about... 
our dynamic that people are like, God, he really fucking hates Jeremiah. Why is Jeremiah should stand up for himself? And it's like, no, guys, we're cool. It's just it's totally a, fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I appreciate, I mean, literally, so backstory on trying to get Anthony on this podcast. I've been, or podcast or my show, Stand Up on the Spot. We've been trying to lock you in for a while, and I've been writing you letters for quite a while emails don't try to make it sound too romantic like you're like you're like penning out these <laughs> these missives to me this is this is basically the notebook of podcasts it's finally happened it's coming together and it's really exciting i mean stand up on the spot's the thing where you go up and people yell things out and then you talk about them yes my worst nightmare i get angry because the you you think that the audience is dictating too much what you have to say i'm like how dare you tell me what to talk about right like how dare you how arrogant are you to tell me it's just not the I way do. i do stand up like i did that what was that show called where set list yes where it's like behind you and i was just at the improv one night to see like i would uh, to talk to todd glass yeah and he was doing it and they're like come on come, let's let's go let's go let's do this thing and i was like fine i'll go do it and i got mad immediately and for 10 minutes was just fuming on stage because the suggestions would be funny like it was like crazy crucifixion and I'm right. like, don't do that. Like give me, like if you've ever done an interview where they try, like the jokes are, the questions are jokes. The questions are more jokes and it's like, where, where what do I do with this? What do I, yeah, give the, me a like, normal question like and I'll be funny. The, there, you already did the punchline in the question. Like where, where do I take this? Yeah, that always makes me mad. So stand up on the spot. I'm like, I just know I would get up there and then immediately regret it. I think you might actually be surprised and like it because the inverse of set list, people yell out, very normal topics people will literally yell out sometimes like brother family uh you know vacation random stuff and i've seen comics for whatever reason when you're in self-defense mode with an audience it triggers something of a memory or or story or something that you have never thought to write out as a joke and then that's how people get material out of it i mean i i get material from writing things down uh, I'm an artist, so I don't need like I don't need help from the gallery. You don't need props. You don't need props. Yeah, I did. I, I've done um, set or ask cat a couple times where I'm the monologist. Yeah, yeah. And I've done it. I think I did it twice. Like UCB or yeah, yeah. And once it went like really well because it's like they just give you a topic and you've got to think of a story based on it, or like you just keep on like they'll say cough drops. You're like okay, uh, nicotine lozenges, and just keep doing it until you come up with a story. Mm -hmm. And once it went great, and once I like panicked and clearly made up a story which like is the worst thing you can do. The audience is staring at me. The improvisers are like, he's so full of shit right now that I was like, I'll never do this again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that happens with improv. I mean, that's that's the... <laughs> I'm not a fan of improv. Do you we ever listen... So I'll tell you my process and I'm very curious. I, I'm guessing we have almost exact opposite processes. I'm, I'm shocked you even call what you do a process. <laughs> But go, but go ahead. Tell me your process. Okay. This is my process. One second. I'm going to turn on that light real quick. I realized I didn't turn on light for you. Wow. It's like, it's like you're glowing now. It's perfect. Yeah, it really changed everything. <laughs> okay. So what I do is I will write ideas out for jokes in a notebook typically, or have bullet points that I'll go up on stage with. Then I will kind of riff it out on stage sometimes I'll, I'll prepare a bit that's word for word where i take it to memory take then take it to the stage but a lot of the best bits that i've come up with are more kind of in the premise area and then i will flesh it out on stage listen to the recordings and basically 
keep the tags and everything that's worked. So basically I'm re-improvising the set over and over until it's tighter and tighter and tighter. Mm -hmm. I mean, not that dissimilar from what I do. Like I write the jokes. I mean, my jokes are like word perfect or they don't work. You know what I mean? It's like, the, I don't, I'm not yeah. changing the wording a lot on jokes, but in between the jokes, I'll, I'll say something, I'll riff something. And that comes from like a boredom with the set. Like I just do the same 15 or 20, whatever, and just hope that thing that the space fills up in between jokes. Yeah. I like that a lot. And sometimes like in my last special, I had a story about taking a friend to get an abortion where every night driving to the comedy store, I would think of a new thing to add to the story and try it out so it just kept growing on stage which i really enjoyed kind of that process so i have to have all the jokes but i find that if you sit and you write all the time not i mean i don't do it all the time but if you sit and write and make your brain work that way once you get on stage you're more open to riffing and coming up with new ideas but i have it uh i have to have like a you have like to have blueprint. like the shell uh, not even a shell but like it's locked and loaded and then it's almost like if something happens in the moment, you're like, oh, okay, maybe I could add that. Yeah, like while they're laughing, I'm bored up there. Like I, I used to take an apple on stage, like and like I would tell a joke and it would get a laugh. I would take a bite and I'd be like, I know it's rude to eat, but this gives me something to do during applause breaks. You know, like we're like I'm just like while they're laughing, I'm like just like standing there, like thinking of things to say just to entertain myself. Yeah, and that's when I'm at my best is when I'm like bored. But it takes me years to get bored with with the the act. Have you? Do you have any bits where you ever tried like big act outs or anything like that? No, I, I once when I I took a stand up comedy class when I really? first, when I first came to L A. Okay. I didn't know how to go to an open mic and just do it. So I was like, this will give me at least like a like people say, oh, you took a class. That's weird because you're so different. Like most people take pl classes are bad. It's because they take the class and think they're done. They think whatever that process is, like they're good to go. I graduated. Like, now I got it. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm a comic. It's like, no, you still have to go and do all the open mics and eat all the shit that everyone else has to. Mm -hmm. But you have a little bit of a baseline before you go and do that. Yeah. And you like in the there was a, it was a two part class. And in the second part, you would just go up and do stand up for seven minutes, whatever you wanted. And the class would give you suggestions or critique. And one of the first things I did was like an impression of my dad getting stung by a bunch of wasps. And I just like, jumped around on stage for like 30 seconds and it felt like four hours. No one laughed. And I was like, this is so embarrassing that I'll never do anything physical again. Like I once did an impression of Dane Cook like years ago. It was like at a party in a backyard where I told one of my jokes and then I told it again as Dane Cook. It's since been scrubbed from the internet, I believe. I, I'm sure someone can find it somewhere. But I had friends text me and be like, I didn't know that you could bend your knees. Like the way you were on stage, you're just like stock still. And that was kind of a, a conscious choice was that I wanted the jokes to be able to work on their own uh, without me having to do anything. I'm like, that. those would be the best jokes. And now as I've gotten older and more, I've been doing comedy for 20 years. Like in the past 10 years, I've taken the mic out of the stand because it like gives me more freedom to move around and walk around. But I don't do a lot of physical anything. Maybe a snap of the fingers right. would be the most physical thing I do in my act. But I like it to be very minimalist. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I don't think I've necessarily done 
a stand-up show with you. I don't think you've seen maybe my act necessarily. Maybe you have. I have no idea. I think I've like walked by when you've been in the OR. You know, I'm coming out of the main room and I see you up there. But I have a glass. You see arms flailing or something like that. And you're like, I get it. (laughs) Yeah. It seems like you're always doing an impression of like the inflatable guy outside the car dealership. (laughs) Like, I feel like that's... That's my go-to. A lot of your act. That's actually an impression of uh, my dad. Like, I just noticed the the saxophone next to you and almost had a panic attack. Like, I I don't know what's going to happen with that. Are you, you're a fan of music though. I mean, I like music. I'm not a fucking psychopath who like hates, <laughs> hates the sound of music, but I have zero musical talent or ability. So you've never tried to play an instrument or anything? <sighs> no, maybe like a, like a guitar in like fifth grade and was just like, oh my, my, my parents bought a piano when we were kids and I'm the oldest of five. So all five kids had to go to these lessons and I hated it so much. And like I, my parents were like, nope, we bought this piano. It's an investment. Like you're doing it. And within a month, the teacher told my parents, like, your son is hopeless. Like he can't read music. He has no rhythm. He can't do this. And my dad like got mad at me. He was like, what the hell? And I go, dad, do you have any musical ability whatsoever? Can you play the piano? And he's like, no, I have none. And I'm like, I'm your son. Like, this is your fault. Like, I don't you know why with, you're mad you at me You hit him with for cold this. logic. That's yeah. what you did. And they were like, okay, you don't have to play the piano anymore. But do like, yeah. You, do I'm you just remember back. anything on the piano? Not, not a fucking thing. I remember I was opening for Jeff Ross, like in the beginning of my career. And he would have a piano on stage where he'd like do poems. Mm-hmm. And he was like, he couldn't find a volunteer that night. So he was like, Anthony, come do it. And I was like, yeah, I can just like noodle around. And it was just a disaster. Like every key I hit was just like, bah! like it just sounded awful. And I'm like, yeah, I can't even fake playing the piano. I have a piano here if you want to try it. I do not. I'm uncomfortable with my musical inability. Okay. Well, at the end of the uh, how I close out the shows uh, usually is a segment called Sax Talk where my guest shares a story of a sexual encounter. It can be as innocent or as graphic as the guest would like. And I play sax along with it as you tell like a monologue. I'm, I'm so glad you gave me a heads up about that. Just to keep in mind, like, you know, a story or something like that. I remember doing Nikki Glaser had a talk show on Comedy Central called like Not Safe with Nikki Glaser, yeah. where they would like, it was like all about sex. And I remember do, I did like the, uh, the practice show and it was like fun and normal and like nothing was weird. And then I did it again, like season two, like for real. And the one prompt, they were like, just prepare this. Like, just tell us your most embarrassing sexual story. I was like, no way. No way in a million years am I going to go on this fucking talk show. Yeah, we're going to need you to do that. And uh, the pay is really solid. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not giving my <laughs> it's most... going to be out there forever. Yeah. I'll tell... I can, I'm happy to tell like a, like a, a sexual encounter, but not a my most embarrassing. Like, fuck that. That's yeah. going with me to the grave. Yeah. I've got, I've got some that I, you know, wouldn't even... I, I I repeated one to my buddy one time that was like a truly embarrassing sex story. And like the look in his eye was like, you shouldn't have told me that, dude. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'm never, I can't share this with anybody. I can't take it to the stage. I can't, like literally he, he looked at me like, like, yeah, you might want to keep that to yourself, man. Yeah, like you're on a long car trip and you're just like, oh yeah, and then this happened. They're yeah. like, whoa, 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 that was too much. Easy, easy, easy. Like there. my most embarrassing sexual, sexual story, four people know about it. Me and the three kids. That's it. <laughs> I'm not telling anybody else. Man, this guy over here, man. This guy over here. It's I love what, it. It's what I do. It's what you do. It's what you do. Uh, I uh, have uh, been 
touring throughout the pandemic have you how many sets do you think you have done like in this last year like through oh zero i mean i did like march 11th like the day before the shutdown it was like the night that the the nba shut down tom hanks announced he had it and i went and did largo it was like my show with my friends and it was wondering if that was even going to happen sold out show everyone showed up it was a great show and then the next day it was done where I did not even think about getting on stage until I got vaccinated, waited a couple of weeks, and now I've been doing outdoor shows, the store's back, yeah. I'm doing that, but I didn't do anything. And I didn't write anything either. I thought maybe I'll take this time to write, but without having to get up and prove yourself with those jokes, it was impossible that I thought, you know what, let me just try to stay sane. Mm-hmm. I got a dog, I read a lot. What kind of dog do you have? I have a, I, I got a dog from Korea. It was like a rescue from a meat factory. And they're like, it's a Jindo. And I looked up Jindos, like what they were. Cause when I, when I was like, I want this dog, I was talking to like a, a, um, like an agency that kind of just, they don't have, they, they don't have the kennels, but they like have a foster system and yeah. they help people get dogs. And they show me a bunch of pictures and I was like, I want that one. And they're like, great. That's a Jindo. He's six months old. He'll be here in a month. And I'm like, what do you mean? I thought I would go visit the dog now yeah, and, I thought and, I'd get, and get it. And they're like, no, he's coming from Korea. They shipped you this dog from Korea? They, they were shipping the dog to them, and then they're like, we're just going to give it to you when it gets here. And I'm reading about it, and it's like they pick one person. Like, that's their person for life. They're like a very loyal dog. They're great. And I've never even heard of a Jindo. Yeah. It's just, I mean, Is it's that just, indigenous it, to Asia? Yeah. It's okay. indigenous, there's like a Jindo island off Korea okay. where they kind of all come from. They're like a national treasure in Korea. But in Korea, they have them, and they like tie them up, and they love purebreds. They tie them up outside their house. So it's almost like a guard dog. They don't really bring them in. But uh, if it's not a purebred, they don't really want it. And the meat factories there are getting shut down. It's more like a food that like old men eat at the bar. And as they die out, like it's going away. Where The Korean people don't eat dog. Mm-hmm. Just certain people do. And they shut these places down and take the ones that are salvageable. And since no one in Korea really wants them, they ship them over here. But I get this dog and like, it'll be about 30 pounds. Uh, and I'm like, I can, I'm cool with that. And I figured like it's going to be fostered somewhere and I'll meet him. And then decide if I if I can really do this. But the day he gets into America uh, was the day the Black Lives Matter protest started, and there was a uh, there was a curfew, there was a lockdown. So I had to go and like pick this dog up, bring him home. There's protests outside my house, and I just like was holding this dog for two weeks while this went on, and was like, "This is my dog. It's bond- I'm bonded with it." Yeah, it grows to 65 pounds, not 30, 65. It's part Akita. And they were like, it looked Jindo. Its mom looked like a Jindo. So we just assumed. And it's like, no. it's uh, It's got it's a lot a of Jindo qualities. Dog. But it's huge. But I, I love it. The shed? Oh, yeah. Big time. It's got a double coat. coat. Double coat? Double coat. Sheds like crazy. Very clean. But sheds all the fucking time. Like, I have to, I have to take it to get a bath every four weeks. Because that really helps get get the hair out. But it's, it's a lot. Wow. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that'll keep you your brain occupied during like i i had the same issue where it was so hard for me to write jokes i'd write down like just little premises but like to try to develop them i was like i'm gonna lean into podcasting and everything else this year and just try to get creative in other ways but like there's no now that stand-up is like back and i can get up multiple times a week now i'm really starting to to start to hone new bits and stuff like that yeah i was glad i had the podcast uh, to do my own podcast to do uh, during this and like having the dog just to walk and not drink myself to death. Oh, yeah. But I thought like I'll have a ton of material about my dog. 
you know it's like an interesting to get a dog from korea and all this no one gives a shit about my dog like i cannot get a laugh out of out of this dog so that might be a waste of time uh but yeah i just couldn't even think about writing or doing comedy but now that i'm back i'm using the 15 minutes that i had before this was over mm-hmm. and adding to it but like i really am like holding a piece of paper because i do not remember the jokes at all from over a year ago it's weird it's weird like retracing i luckily was going on the road throughout so like i've stayed somewhat fresh with jokes but like this is my first time i'm in like sacramento uh and it's like and then like portland and those are the first weekends that i've done back to back in a while and i'm definitely gonna have to like have a study session with with my notes and and jokes that way i'm not like too like nose on the paper yeah I need to embarrass myself on stage to get better. Like it, it, it's embarrassing to have to look at your notes after each joke. I hate it. That like eventually because of that embarrassment, then it starts to come together and I understand. I'm such like an, an energy based comic too, that if huh. somebody can tell. <laughs> you are. Never, uh, never put that together with yeah. you. That if people can tell that I'm not being genuine and present, that if I have, they're like, oh, he's like not even i don't know like like if i'm looking it's almost like worse since it's not like like very refined written like jokes like that where if people see me searching like oh and then i do this crazy act i was like why can't he remember you know what i mean i don't know it just it just takes them out of it i mean my character is like i can be i can be totally not present and not engaged you could could look down the nose and be like "Mm, i guess i'll try this one yeah it's like you know know what you guys don't deserve this one i'm gonna do this other one like they eat that shit up so it's like i kind of made my made my character in a way that just makes it easier for me that i can i can just be like i hate this crowd and they they enjoy that was your cadence ever did you ever try a fast-paced cadence on stage when you were starting out my first ever stand-up set like it was just like the, the classes graduated that i took yeah and it was in the belly room of the comedy store yeah. and i remember going up and like killing especially compared to like the 10 other people in the class just like killing and my friends were there and i sent that tape out to like everyone everyone i went to high school with everyone i went to college with I'm i was so proud of it comedian now and one of the jokes from that set ended up years later in the donald trump roast like I was making fun of my boss. I had gotten fired from a Borders Books and Music, and that was one of my bits. And one of the jo- like the jokes about my boss ended up being uh, one of the roast jokes. That I was like, maybe there's some other gems in there. And I went back and watched it. Like I got the VHS tape, converted it to digital, and I looked and just had a panic attack watching it because I was so bad. I was like like Oxford shirt, like tucked into like khaki pants. I had a heavy Dennis Leary influence. Like I was, there was a lot of like, you knows and like pointing the finger and I was talking way faster than I normally did that I was just humiliated by it. But quickly as I started doing more open mics and especially when I switched to jokes as opposed to stories, because uh, I thought as a kid, nobody wants to, hear, I'm 22, 23, nobody wants to hear what I have to say about like right. life. So once I got into jokes, it was like, okay. And I liked using the silence and the slow, uh, the slow delivery to build tension. You know, I really like I don't have to be fast. And I, there are comics that I love who just it's mile a minute, almost like I call it like the wall of sound. You know, there's no way that anyone can jump in and heckle you because you're just like, bam, yeah. bam, bam, that I like the opposite of that. And just really waiting till the all the laughter dies down completely. And they're like, and then tell the next one. As that, long as they're not talking, then I have them and I can go as slow as I want. And I love that. Right. I mean, that's why I like comics like like yourself that have you have a polar opposite style to me mm-hmm. so I can respect that in a different way. Cause I'm like, Oh, I literally could never do that. 
that's just not what I I bring to the stage at all. Mm-hmm. Like I've tried, I force myself, and I and I, I I'm glad I did this as an exercise. I'll force myself every once in a while to sit down and write like one-liners to put in between some of like my big act outs or like longer stories and stuff like that, just as an exercise for joke writing. And mm-hmm. I feel so good when I can get like one down. Cause I'm like, this just isn't in my wheelhouse. Yeah. I mean, it feels really good. And then you're like, that was 15 seconds. Like <laughs> a great one liner is like, it's, 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 it's like the salt and the sweet because you're like, Oh, this is a brilliant joke. I could not take a word out or add a word to make it better, but it does not kill any time. Yeah. And I've been working on this for months. Uh, I want you to grab this this mic right here. This is, I assume this is where the keep an open mind thing. So this is a mic that just sounds exactly like the other mic. Do you, do you like hear it? In my head, yeah, it just sounds exactly normal. That sounds like your normal voice? This is how I sound if I hear myself on like a voice message. You know, where like you, you, I, my, I, my voice sounds a certain way to me, but when I hear it recorded back, this is what I sound like. You sound like the guy who does the talk boy from Home Alone. What do you mean? It's it's like a, at a lower octave. Oh, it is. Do you hear it? No, I mean, it just sounds, it sounds normally what my voice sounds like when it's recorded. Are you joking with me? I'm 100% joking with you. Okay. I can't believe that you. <laughs> I mean, it says Barry White on the thing. Yeah, I get that it's a, it's a joke, Mike. And it's positioned in just a way that I have to kind of hold it and balance it. You could you could adjust the the stand so it's not like leaning. Do I seem like someone who adjusts a lot of stands? Uh, no, but I could do it for you. I'm gonna do it for you. How? I mean, so the whole time you thought I was like the mic just didn't work. Like that this threw me in some way. I literally, you were so convincing. I also. Uh, I'm very gullible. I take people's if they're if they're being like direct with me. I'm like, oh, this person's being sincere right now. I get that a lot of people are like, I can't tell if you're joking or not. And I'm like, I'm on stage holding a microphone at a comedy club. Like, what the fuck do you think I'm doing? So yeah, like I'm uh, I'm pretty good with the straight face uh, lying to people. Yeah, I mean, I I, I can tell. Mm-hmm. Hit a couple of those other buttons. So there's nine quick keys over there. Oh, hello. Yeah, this actually does sound like a like a phone call. Hey, uh, who's who? Who is this? This is Anthony Jeselnik. Like <laughs> you're trying to like you're trying to pivot him into doing it like an improv scene, and it's not it's not happening. This is what happens when people try to get me to do improv scenes. What if would you be willing to put on a wig? That 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 would be that would be the thing that would get you to leave if I'm like you gotta wear a wig. You're like I think we're done here. I remember once uh, my friend Charlene Yee was doing a lot of shows at UCB, mm-hmm. and she asked me to be in one. It was like these weird wacky shows. They were almost like for kids, but it was like I, I liked her, so I said I'll do it. And she's like, here, here's your part. Here are your lines. I memorized them. And then I show up that night, and she's like, all right, I changed things around. Here's the song you're singing. And I was like, get the fuck out of here. Like, there's no way. There's no way I'm singing anything. And you knew damn well that if you had, uh, that if you had told me this in advance, I would not have done it. Well, that's why I said have an open mind, but it's, uh, I don't force people to do anything. Thanks. 
I like how you act like you're doing me a favor. Like, there's no way you could tie me down and you would not be able to get a wig on my head. What if I brought one of my characters onto the show? Would you be okay with that? I mean, it doesn't sound like you're asking permission. It sounds like you're telling me you're about to do a character. <laughs> I mean, they're just, they're right over there. Do you want me to keep talking into the phone thing? No, no, you don't have to. There's somebody... Did that bit go the way you thought it was going to? So far, this is going exactly how I want it to. I mean, I'm pretty proud of myself for fooling you for a full minute that I didn't understand that my voice. I literally different. was like, I was like, how? at first, I was like, he's clearly joking, but you stayed in it so well that I was like, is something wrong with his headphones that he's not hearing this? I thought we were both doing a bit. I was I, like, okay, Jeremiah can improvise. I was improvising, but then you took me down a path where, see, you took me down a good improv path where I, then I started believing it. Yes, and. Dude. Right? Do you feel this chemistry? It's, unbe it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's on fire right now. I mean, I feel bad. Like, this is, I'll do a podcast like this, and people will see me that I'm on your podcast. And they'll be like, oh, I can get Jessel Nick. I'm not going to be in another podcast for six years after this. Like I went to Australia once for a tour. I've been there a couple of times, but the first time I went, they were like, we, we, we've got some radio interviews for you when you first get here and then a podcast. And I was like, all right. I was like, sometimes podcasts are cool and sometimes it's not good. And it was a podcast where the guy read stories from like the Australian newspaper, like the crime section. And then I had to comment to, like, on them. riff on it? Yeah. And I didn't understand what anything was talking about. Like I didn't get, it was almost like in a different language and I didn't know the t reputation of the yeah. towns and it was so bad. And I was like jet lagged that I was like, I'm not doing any more podcasts the rest of the time I'm in Australia. And all the Australian comics were furious at this one guy for ruining it for them. They were like, if you, if he had, if he hadn't done yours first, you would have been happy to do ours. But that was such a bad experience that he was like, no, no more. Am I that guy? I mean, we'll see I, assume, how it goes. I assume we're halfway through this. So yeah, yeah. yeah it's very possible. We'll see how it goes. Mm -hmm. okay. It doesn't, it doesn't look good. You know, it doesn't look good. Hey man, I appreciate that you're here and that you're having an open mind and we're just, we're just a couple pals riffing. Mm -hmm. We're just a couple pals doing bits. We're just joshing around. We're just joshing around. We're Drake and joshing around. Mm -hmm. It's no biggies. Nope. No, no biggies big, malls. No biggies at all. Yeah. Hi, I'm Jeremiah Watkins. And when I'm not bombing on podcasts with Anthony Jeselnik, I sometimes like to sneak away to a farm and milk my goats. And while I do that, I use fume. <laughs> fume is uh, not nicotine-based. It's plant-infused essential oils. That feels nice. And this feels nice. They could help you quit smoking. You might want to look into it. Fume handcrafts beautiful wooden pieces to make the quitting process simple and easy and even cool looking. I mean, can you smoke a cigarette while you milk a goat? No. You can inhale essential oils with fume. It's that nice. This is lemonberry bliss and this helps with my allergies because I have a huge nose. And if you got a big honker like myself or big teats like this goat right here, it helps with seasonal allergies. Look into it. Head to www.fumeessential.com, that's F-U-M Essential, and use code WONDER to save yourself 10% to help you or a loved one quit smoking today. Oh, 
How are you liking that, pal? Fume has already helped over 30,000 customers worldwide with hundreds of customers who have shared their quitting stories on their site. So go check it out. Head to www.breathefume.com. That's breathefum.com and use promo code WONDER and grab a fume and check out their variety of plant infused cores. And start not smoking today. Fume. Oh, hi there again, responsible adults over the age of 21 living in states where Delta 8 is legal. Want to get high? Really high? Really super duper legally high? Well, then now's the time to go to YoDelta.com. That's right, YoCreatum, one of the best supporters of this show, just launched YoDelta, where you can stock up on high quality lab tested Delta 8. So if you're over the age of 21 and living in the majority of states where this is legal, go to YoDelta.com and stock up on Delta 8. What's Delta 8? It's found in hemp and can be legally shipped to various states and get you high. At YoDelta.com, you can find a mix of gummies and vapes for all of your getting stoned needs. I can tell you that Delta 8 works and that these products should be taken responsibly. So once more, that's YoDelta.com the official Delta 8 sponsor of Jeremiah Wonders. And you can use promo code WONDER. You're going to get 25% off. Once more, that's promo code WONDER for 25% off. Yo Delta, home of the Delta 8 that will get you super high. Hello again. Today's episode is brought to you by IP Vanish. IP Vanish is a virtual private network, a VPN for short. A VPN is a super important tool that helps you safely browse the internet. You can use a VPN on your computers, tablets, phones, even things like your Fire Stick when you're streaming media. When you use a VPN, all your data is encrypted. What you're reading, what you're searching, what you're watching is all protected. If you care about the security of your online activity, the easiest way to protect yourself is with IPVanish VPN. Rated 4.5 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot, IPVanish provides an encrypted connection for all of your internet traffic, helping to prevent websites, Wi-Fi providers, and even hackers from intercepting your data. You can help keep your financial details, personal information, and online activities safe from threats with IPVanish. Get started with this limited offer and save 50% off monthly and annual subscriptions by going to ipvanish.com slash wonders. One more time, that's ipvanish.com slash wonders, all lowercase. Now let's get back into this beautiful episode of Jeremiah Wonders with my best friend, Anthony Jeselnik. I want to get into this next segment. It's called Fanning Out. Fanning Out, questions from fans. I thought 100% that you were going to pull out a giant fan. Yeah, it seemed like what you would do. Like a long par with everything else that you've seen me do. Mm -hmm. Like we're going to do a vine now and then like vines come from the ceiling, like shit like that. <laughs> start swinging from this. What was your childhood like, Anthony? Mm -hmm. It was great. It was better than this. You have a hat on right now, but a lot of people were curious about the hair products or beard products that you use. And also this question came from Tate Fletcher on Instagram. How long do you have your hair worked on in the mornings or is it always that way? It's very well put together is what he's referencing. Thank you. I, I was saying, I think my hair looks better when I get out of bed in the morning than like after I shower. So like, you've got natural good bedhead. 
Yes. I have a natural good bed head. Gotcha. It's kind of, it's the way that it's cut. I wanted it to be uh, easy. Like I just, I don't have a comb or brush. I just like put this stuff in my hands. I forget what it's called. It's like a blue kind of jelly type stuff that I just kind of throw in my hair, uh, mess LA around with my hands. No, it's like, it's, it's a, a LA looks it's is like a Japanese $2, name. By the way. Yes. I remember uh, back when I was like a kid, I had LA looks. For you sure. did? You rocked oh, yeah. LA looks? I wanted to have slicked back hair, even though like as a kid, you could, you could not do that, but I thought that was cool. Yeah. And I tried like just putting in like as much LA looks gel as you could. And I have calyx and everything. So it just looked insane. My brother had uh, this middle part that my mom begged him to not do his hair like that. And he didn't listen. He's like, it looks cool. He looks back at photos and he's like, I don't know why I thought it was cool. My mom's like told he had middle part glasses and braces all at the same time. And my mom's like, what are you doing? Like my mom was cool. And she's like, she's like, like my mom was in on like, like fashion stuff where she's like, you boys need to sag a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like she's, she's like, I see the black guys doing it. It's cool. My parents, they thought my, my mom thought I was like three sizes bigger than I was. All my clothes were oh, like, some of my so clothes baggy. from me being a teenager still fit me now. Yeah. Like I, I was in, I was an XL. Like I assumed I was an extra large guy, but all my t-shirts now are large. It's like you may, I looked weird. Yeah. I don't thought I was going to grow into it or just that I was bigger than I was, but clothes were big. And I, I grew my hair long once in college, mm -hmm. just for like the whole semester just didn't get it cut. And everyone was like, you look, like I was always wearing a hat, but people were like, you look good with long hair. Like I like you with long hair, don't cut it. And then I went home for Christmas vacation and my family was like, you're getting a haircut right now. Just like you look stupid. And I finally folded to the pressure and got it cut and I get back to college and everyone's like, oh, you look so much better. And I'm like, motherfuckers, I did this for you. Like, yeah. yeah. And I hate having longer hair because if the wind blows, I don't know what I look like. It's messed up. With the hair that I have, it's just like, I, I know it, it always looks I had it for years same. and it was always like, I was literally constantly like fixing it. I was yeah. constantly looking for mirrors to see if it was not like yeah. all out of place. I go, I have a, a woman who cuts my hair who's very, very expensive, but is like the best haircut I've ever had. And I go to her once a month and do whatever she tells me to do. And then with the beard, uh, I always thought I couldn't grow a beard. You know, I was like, oh, it's just like, oh, no, you have to just take care of it and let it like come out in a certain way. It took a long time. I couldn't until my mid 20s, legit, like no hair, hardly. I used to shave maybe once a week just mm -hmm. to get like that gross, like peach fuzz off my face. Yeah. yeah. I just, it just grew in weirdly, but it was like, no, you got to take time. And I put beard oil in it. I put a, uh, I get a, a very nice beard oil to keep the itching away and to kind of keep it, keep it looking good. But I don't do, uh, I don't do too much to it i just kind of like and i never trim when i see someone with a beard that's like really Line thin up. lines and stuff i'm like i just picture you in the mirror doing that and it seems insane it's like do, have the have the haircut person do it once and then a month later do it again that's my thing okay yeah that makes sense uh this was the top question um i'm interested to this is from josh underscore z's on um on instagram are you friends with big j it got like a ton of likes um, like six months ago, it would have been an easy answer. Yes, I'm friends with Big J Okerson. I love Big J Okerson. I've known Big J for a long time from the, the comedy cellar. We went oddball together. Always had good conversations, always cool. And then there was like a, like a, like a, a drama, I guess you'll say, where I tweeted out an article 
And I like when people write about stand-up comedy, whether it's negative or positive. I just like the attention that the art form gets. Okay. I feel like most stand-up articles are about someone who's got a special coming out and just praising them. When just someone's kind of like, promo. Yeah, when someone's like, there's the, there's bad things happening in the scene, I enjoy reading that stuff. Just mm-hmm. as like a gossip. I'm a messy bitch and I live for the drama. And I read this article and it was about, uh, it was called like stand-up comedy is an alt-right problem. And uh, it was about like a lot of these podcasts that will have like Alex Jones on, you know, or that Milo guy on like weird alt-right people. And you can't even use the word alt-right anymore because they kind of saw that word was bad and rebranded everything Uh, that. uh, And I think Big J was mentioned in the article. I didn't know any of the other people mentioned. But what I took from it was these people were being taken advantage of by these alt-right figures that use, that like, we're just joking, see, we were on this funny podcast. And when I was at the Comedy Cellar when I lived in New York, Ann Coulter would come in and hang out at the comics table. Mm -hmm. And I hated that. It always like annoyed me, I would stay away from it. And so I saw this happening again and I just, and I wanted, I would have retweeted the article, just like a soft retweet, but I didn't like the editorializing that went along with the tweets of the article. So stupidly, I just copied and pasted and put it out, which seemed like a stronger statement than just a retweet. And I was you looking like you're actively trying to make a statement. Yeah, but I made no comment on it because I was like, I don't really have a comment to make. I just think this is interesting. And that whole um, the Legion of Skanks guys, who I guess were like the the main crux of the article, who do this a lot, uh, their fans flipped out. And I was legitimately shocked that there was any kind of backlash, much less the backlash that there was, because these are guys, and I don't really know them, but I know that they like love to say that LA comics suck and New York comics are the best. I have no problem with people saying that. I have no problem with people talking shit on me as a comic. I've been doing it 20 years. And when I came in, I was a young buck and I was like gunning for the legends, you know? So like talking shit on someone isn't a big deal to me. And they were very upset. Their fans were upset. And they were kind of such dicks about it that I didn't feel like I could explain. Okay. And even Big J was like, why did you do this? I want to talk to you about it, but I want to do it on the air. And when I hear that, I'm like, you know what? Like, It's like if I hurt your feelings, then I'm sorry. But if I made you mad, then fuck you. That's a great, one of my favorite Willie Nelson quotes. And I'm not going to get on the air and debate this. And I didn't put that much thought into tweeting out the article. And I didn't do it with any comment. I wasn't a part of the article. It doesn't bother me. It just like, I just thought it was interesting. And to this day, people still, uh, people still come at me and bring it up as if it's. Uh, when, uh, so when did uh, this happen? I honestly, I don't, I didn't know that this article I know, that's happened the, or anything. That's one of the things that's like, that's weird about it is that most people don't know, but these guys take it very, very seriously. I'd say like three or four months ago. Maybe. Okay, so semi, so still semi recent, yeah. semi recently. But I tweet articles all the time. I was so, just surprised. By so it. the the I think that the main issue that multiple people had with it is they call I guess in the article they call Big J a Nazi in the in the article. I think that I think that's an oversimplification. And maybe I read the art. I didn't scour the article enough. But it's like, like there's like a bunch of these. Que- like I was shocked to open my Twitter and my Instagram today, and the majority of the questions were centered around this, and I hadn't heard about it yet. And I was like, oh, we'll, we'll see if I can talk to, to Anthony about it and see if... I don't think Big J's a Nazi. I don't think Big J's racist. I don't think Big J even fucking votes. Do you know what I mean? But I think the cult around that, they're bullies a lot of the time. And they're, Are, and they're trolls. The, and I and when I see something... Skanks or, or, or... Yeah, I guess that whole scene. I, and I, do, I don't know the Legion of Skanks. I know Big J and that's it. So Big J, Louis J. Gomez, and Dave Smith are, yes, are the guys I know who, those are the three guys, yeah. but I've never met... Uh, I don't think I've ever met Louis or Dave Smith. Okay. Um, but... 
I just think that it's a weird cult thing where, and I, the cult, I don't mean cult being like a, a, a negative, but like the fact that like their fan base got kicked off of Reddit, I think says a lot about uh, what they do. And when people are afraid of trolls, I kind of take that as like, I, I can go in here. I can I can comment because I'm not afraid of that. Like mm-hmm. I remember when Owen Benjamin was like going and attacking people on Twitter and if anyone fought back, all his like bear army came after them. And I was like, no, I'm not putting up with this shit. I don't mind this bear army. I'm going to say something that I will speak my mind. And a lot of the people, the, the criticism is that I'm doing it in order to ingratiate myself with like the Hollywood left as if I get a check in the mail for not being anti-trans. Like it's insane to me that my opinions would not be my own. But as far as that article goes, I didn't put a lot of, I wasn't like trying to throw anyone under the bus. I don't think it affected their business in any way. Uh, and I still see every time I tweet anything, I see four or five people uh, bringing it up that it's, and I, I would clarify it more, but mo- most people do not care or know. But the Legion of Skanks guys take it very seriously. That I think one day I will see Big J, and I can talk to him about this. Yeah. Um, but I'm not going on the air. And a lot of their argument, like the who cares if it's alt-right, if it's still funny, is like that's the problem. And it's my, so my problem isn't so much with the Legion of Skanks. It's the fans and the cult of personality around them that, frankly, I think bully people. And I don't, I don't like that in comedy. I would say... So I, me as like a comic, like when I like have done Legion of Skanks, uh, like I, it's, it's some it's not in my wheelhouse. It's like not necessarily in my comfort zone, but I'm friends with all those guys. And the way I kind of feel about it is I, sometimes like some gnarly stuff is like said, I think is jokes on the show, but their festival that they do skank fest, the support and the love that their fans show and like how it's like a, a one love kind of environment that Louis J. Gomez and Big J. Rickerson and Dave Smith have created is pretty cool. Like I've been, I've done pretty much every comedy festival in the country and I've never seen the outpouring of love and gratitude that, that the Legion of Skanks fans have for the comics who show up and support there. So that that's just how I feel like with like, I may not agree with everything that's being said on their podcast, but it, I don't know. It's 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 a, it's a very different thing. Like for me to see it in person and, and how, how gracious like like their fans are. Like for people being there and and people everybody like being okay with like crazy jokes being said or whatever. It's still like everybody's like we know this is a joke. This is like. Yeah, you know. but it's also like the thing with like I call them comedy gangs is that you get your own audience. And everything is like for them. Like you're, it's not pandering, but you, it's a, it's a very safe space for those sort of ideas. Whereas what I do is I'm trying to get like everyone. I'm trying mm-hmm. to get people who are not on board with kids dying, laughing at kids dying. Okay. You know, I, I would never want to be a part of a scene like that. I don't have a problem with other people doing it. It's just not for me. Right. But I don't have. I. I. I it's a very much a one way beef. Like I, I tweeted out an article, no comment. Think, didn't think it would be a big deal, and they seem very very upset about it uh, and I don't know what to say I never I never in New York I never run into them we're not in the same circles but uh, I'm happy to discuss it when people bring it up all right cool um, this comes from oh and uh, just one last thing after I tweeted the article the next Legion of Skanks podcast and I don't didn't didn't listen to it but I heard they like talk shit on me for 20 minutes just like shit on me the whole for 20 minutes I have zero problem with that no problem like thinking this will be the this will be the end of it and the next week they had Alex Jones on 
that I was like, okay, I don't feel bad about about what I like. Obviously, I wasn't wrong about having Alex Jones. I just think is one of the worst people in the world. That I can't imagine having him on your podcast to joke around. Uh, he Hikiko Morinla on Instagram. Uh, what's Jezelnik's best roast joke about Jeremiah? You know, I've never like written one about you, and I always get annoyed when I do podcasts or TV shows where they're like, like I'll be roast on ESPN and they're like, like roast, roast yeah. the NFL players. It's like, motherfucker, I work on these forever to do. Like, I yeah, stopped doing roast because it was hard yeah. to keep coming up with them. That uh, I think I'm sure I have roasted you in the moment yeah. on like Kill Tony or, yeah, yeah, or yeah. roast battle, but I can't think of uh, what my original was. So because I've been doing stand up on the spot for years, and and people associate that show with me sometimes. I've been doing morning press before and they're like, you do a show called stand up on the spot. How about we do some right now? I'm like, there's no audience. It's me and you. What are you, what are you talking about? I can't, yeah. I can't do that. It's a no win situation. Thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, let's see here. Oh, I like this suggestion and it's an improv scene. So be open to it. Kyler Bentley stand up says he wants me to be Anthony's onstage persona. And he wants you to be my persona, and we get into a fender bender. Okay. Who's sitting who? Uh, I think that I, as Anthony, hit you. Okay. Okay. <sighs> oh, my God. I, someone just hit me with their car. Oh, no. Oh. Oh, look, it's Anthony Cheslinick, one of my favorite comedians. Maybe I can use this to network. Maybe if the damage is bad enough, maybe if my neck hurts, he'll do my podcast. Hey, Anthony, how's it going? Uh, you pulled right in front of my car. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't really know how to drive. I was, I was acting out a bit. I was on my way to a show, and I was acting out things, and just uh, let Jesus take the wheel, and, and now here I am talking to you. I'd rather perform my own abortion than talk to you right now that i mean that doesn't make sense but i but the the cadence kind of sold it um okay uh i'm gonna get back in my car and drive off a cliff as opposed to keep doing this listen do you want to open for me i mean i gotta assume you're joking of course I i'm joking of course i'm joking how much would i have to pay to open up for you what do you got I have, I have nothing. I have literally, this is, I just have this car and this conversation we're having right now. And, and, a, and this voice. I think I've nailed the voice. And that's the biggest you're ever going to get. Okay. Can I have a ride? How about I call you an Uber? We don't report this to the police. I'm more a Lyft guy. We'll call you a Lyft. And how's that sound? I mean, whatever gets us out of this. <laughs> See, you had an open mind. It was perfect. That's about, that's about as much as I can commit to a bit during improv. It was really good, Anthony. I really appreciated you committing to it. Are you still doing your impression? Uh, just slightly. Just mm -hmm. slightly. I love when people want to show me their impressions of me. I'm like, I do not want... Like, I don't have a problem with people doing impressions of me. I'm flattered by it. Yeah. But you just why don't want would, to do it to your face. Why would I ever want to watch it? There's some guy... What's his name? He did Roast Battle a lot. I want to say McDade. Is that the last JP. name? JP. JP McDate yeah, had an impression of me and he kept t like tweeting at me like, watch this, watch this. And I was like, I don't want to watch it. 
Like, I'm happy that you're doing it. I think he wanted you to retweet it more than watch it. Go with God. But why would I want to watch someone's like, here's the the tics you have that that uh, that we can make fun of. I made the mistake. I had Steve on my podcast and uh, <laughs> huge mistake. No, no, no. <laughs> I love Steve-O, but I did my impression of him for too long. And I, it's literally one of my cringiest clips that I have on YouTube. I'm like, why did I keep doing it? I just kept doing it to him. And at first he's been a good sport. And then he's like, I did like, is there anything else? (laughs) He like, like the energy left. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry, dude. I I, like, I I sometimes go too far. Yeah. Like I think Ross made JP do it when I was hosting Roast Battle. He did. Yeah. And he was just like, that's a great great joke. And I was like, all right, that's like, I can, that's enough for me. You know what I mean? But I want to watch you do five minutes of, of my material in your, in your cadence. Although I do, it, it is, it's always flattering. And I think it's, it's almost like a, uh, a badge of honor that I have such a unique persona that it can, be, you, you can do you an impression voice. of. Yes. Yeah. You're one of the better Jeremiah impressions I've seen though. I'm going to say. It's, I mean, it's just kind of panic and you, you take a couple octaves out of the voice. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Life hack on that. Um, this one, uh, comes from nicholas flowers where does being roasted by patrice o'neill rank in the highlights of your career i mean just being a part of the roast was a big deal i i think of the trump roast as being the big one for me. that was my first one and then she was trying to do a lot of trump impressions to you because you've been on that roast no i think people kind of forgot that that roast ever existed by the mm. time the trump you know cult of personality came into its own like jeff ross and i would always talk about how we were surprised that comedy central wouldn't rerun that roast more is it a political thing? They like, said that the ratings weren't good for it, but I think it was probably more of a political thing. It's gotta be. Uh, it's got. I, I think that that if that was airing again, people would flip out. Yeah, I think it was just old. It was just too old. But the Sheen one was cool. And again, like when when a comedian roasts you versus a celebrity on a on a Comedy Central roast, yeah. it's always an honor because you know the comedian wrote the joke, and whereas the celebrity had a joke written for them, teleprompter. And when you're a comic like me, especially this was. 10 years ago like no one knew who the hell i was except from the last roast so there aren't many jokes you know there's not a lot they can say about you they try to put you in a box like because you're one of the new guys like and the most of the jokes are who is this guy it's a who is this guy joke kind exactly of. Yeah. and which is fine like nothing has ever hurt my feelings on a roast but i've seen like larry king be like did they have to keep talking about how old i am like those are the more interesting ones to go after yeah uh the patrice thing like it's an honor to be roasted by patrice it's the one time i ever met patrice we met at that roast, talked afterwards for a couple of minutes, and I never saw him again. But it was, it, it's certainly, I certainly did not make me angry. It was like, okay, thank you. Uh, a real joke from a real comic. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was like Jeff Ross's jokes about me, uh, Patrice, Whitney, like any, any, any of the comics, it was always more of an honor. At Riley Kurtz on Twitter, if you could build a new religion, what would be the Ten Commandments or Five Commandments or whatever? Just like like kind of an ethos of a religion. Uh, I mean, my new religion. I used to say I was an atheist. Like I was raised Catholic and hated it. Like re- like realized it was not the thing. Right I was raised the, super right uh, Protestant Christian. Yeah, and like I, I, it was a fight to get me to do anything. Uh, and once I got to college, I never went to church again. Uh, but I used to say I was an atheist. An atheist can be kind of annoying. That I heard the, uh, of a term called an apatheist. Have you ever heard of this? No. Where you don't care if there's a god. 
Like, I'm going to act this way. I don't like if I get up there and there's, there's a God, okay, I'll deal with it then. But I truly don't believe there is. And I'm just, I just really don't care. I don't want to get into a conversation about it because people say, you're not an atheist. You can't know you're an agnostic. And I'm like, I don't want to have this conversation anymore. So apatheist, my, my five commandments would be like, never talk about this. Like never criticize anyone else's religion. Uh, never show any curiosity about anyone's religion and uh, drink as much wine and bread as you want. You know, you don't have to wait until, until Sundays at, at, at 11.45. Are you a big drink guy? Uh, I do like to drink. Like I'm not a big drug guy. I like alcohol and marijuana. Those, are, like like my two, those are my two vices. The other one's just my jaw hurts in the morning and I feel like I talk too much, you know? Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, last suggestion comes from uh, Yonder Wizard on Instagram. Man, I'd love to hear him have to break up with Feminist Stacy. Feminist Stacy's uh, one of my characters, um, and uh, okay. she, she's actually she's actually right over there. Uh, I'm gonna grab her really quick. Uh, I'll be back in like two seconds. Is this like the only wig that you had, or is Feminist Stacy like into pink hair because she's such a feminist? I'm a feminist, okay? My okay. hair was born this color. Did you have something that you wanted to talk to me about? I, I mean, we've been dating for a while, and, you know, I just, um, I think it's going really well. And um, I was hoping we would maybe be taking it to the next level soon. But what did you, what you want to talk to me about, Jesse? I mean, if you like, Poo? how long, how long would you say we've been dating? Because I feel like it was kind of casual at first, and now... Uh, oh, I, I would say we've been dating for at least three years. Yeah. Okay. Three years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I, I kind of think we kind of bonded over feminism, you know, which I take to, to believe as like men and women are equal. Thank you. You know, I, I'm, I'm very comfortable saying men and women are equal or all, all people are equal regardless oh, of, me of so race or anything. Um, I think it's a weird thing to build your entire personality around. Like when you added feminist to your name. Yeah, I put uh, it on my on my placard, on my license, on my birth certificate. Yeah, I went back in time and changed it on my birth certificate. Yeah, um, I think that we should end this and not see each other anymore. But you just said that you found men and women equal and my rocks were starting to get off and I thought that we would, you know, maybe take this up a notch and I'd go to the bedroom and really go to town on you yeah uh yeah you keep threatening to do that um because i'm always on top as a woman in the bedroom but that's not really feminist that's more uh what's the word when you think women are better than men you know you always have to be on feminism top. you can't flip it around feminism you know i like to have sex in the washing machine you know, we're in the dryer where it's like we're always kind of going in circles, flipping around. I'll put you on spin cycle right now. Mister. I just th I just think that both uh, believing in both of us believing in feminism isn't enough of a of a uh, foundation for a relationship. I mean, what else do you want from me? I want you to talk about anything other than the fact that you're a feminist uh, and maybe. Wow, may your toxic masculinity is really shining through right now, Anthony. Yeah, I can't believe we made it three years until this happened. Yeah, and I can't believe you just said it was casual. Yeah, I we've mean, been texting casual. every day. You've been texting every day. Yeah, okay, I've been texting every day, and sometimes you respond. That's called marriage. Yeah, and we're not married. Uh, uh, and I'm just gonna say this once. I don't want to hurt your feelings, uh, but you are hideous. 
Like you are just, I mean, as a woman, you're equal. As a, as a uh, object of beauty, you are towards the bottom of, of humanity. I mean, I would think on like an on a evolutionary chart, you're down. Like if it wasn't for the pink hair, like it would be, I would not know what I was looking at. You look like, uh, you look like a, like a wax museum caveman. You know, you look like someone pulled a prank in a museum and put a pink wig on something. And you look like the sperm inside of a ball sack of a just for men's ad. Ooh, who's roasting who now, you maestro? I think that sounds pretty attractive. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Is there anything I can do to keep this together? I mean, anything. I mean, I think you should just be grateful for the three years that second. you had. Wait a second. Anthony Jeselnik. Will you marry me? Yes, as a woman, women can engage other men. They can propose to other men. It doesn't always have to be this archaic form where the man goes down and gets on one knee. Feminist Stacy is, 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 is trying to engage you right now with this ring. With this ring, I promise an eternity of love and femininity and never treason against you. What do you say? Never treason against me? Is that part of the, the, is that one of your vows? It's one of my vows I've been working on. I think, I mean, first of all, you're on two knees. Yeah, I'm on two knees because just on one doesn't really show you. That's what to mend you. Just on one knee, I'll go down on two knees and then I'll go down on you. The ring doesn't really look... Uh, and when you say you're going to go down on me, you sound threatening, like you're going to bite. Uh, yeah, I'll take your dick into another dimension. The ring does not look like two months, two and a half months salary. Uh, it looks like something you pulled out of a dishwasher. I got it off Amazon.com. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to accept that. Uh, I'm going to, I'm, I'm breaking up with you. Like, this isn't a conversation. This is just what's happening. But all my stuff's at your place. Not anymore. Where uh, is it? In front of my place. In front of your place? You're just going to treat me like some kind of street hooker? Oh, I really thought that you were something. You know what? I'm going to wear your ring now. You can have it. You can take that as a parting gift in lieu of the money that I owe you. And, uh, and I'm honestly probably less of a feminist now than I was uh, before we started dating. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Okay. So you... It's nice that you as a man can really show your true colors when you break up with an amazing, beautiful, independent, strong woman with perfect features. I've done that before too, but this is a completely different thing. You know, this is like a mercy killing. Can you just tell me your favorite memory about us before I go forever? I think probably the first time that we met before I, before I like got to know you in any way, shape or form, like before you even opened your mouth, when it was just a, it was a dark, dark club with like a, like a black light. So everything, just all the colors look different. And that was, uh, that was, I just gotten out of another breakup. So I was very vulnerable and it was easy to kind of get me, uh, back to the, your tent, uh, where you lived at the time. Don't and, and tell people I live in this a tent. Day. I didn't say the color of the tent. Don't like, tell people where I live. No one will know. No one will know. Uh, I cannot yeah, wait to was... write about you in my blog later. But if you had told me at that time that three years later we'd be having this conversation, I probably uh, would have left and not, not stayed the night in the tent. I just hadn't been camping in so long. It seemed like a fun thing to do. You know what? 
I'm gonna blast your ass all over the internet, mister, and tell every other woman what to expect when it comes to Anthony Jeselnik. Please do. It would save me so much time. You know, it's really hard to combat somebody when they have no reactions whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I'm used to being people being triggered back at me when you're just Teflon, nothing sticks to you, and I'm hornier than ever. I mean, use the ring. I think that's what rings Did you almost smile? Did I almost get back in your good graces? I, I, Did no. I get back in your good graces, Anthony? When people see me smile, I'm usually not smiling about what they think I'm smiling about. What are you smiling about? How uh, fucking terrible this is. Like, I don't know who, I don't know if you cut things out of this podcast or if it's just like, hey, let's throw it up and see what people are into. But like, do you do this with every guest? Yes. Like, is this a character you've ever done on stage, or do you just, you bring it out for the podcast? Feminist Stacy has lived on for years and years, and she's been waiting dormant to reactivate and bubble over like Mount Vesuvius and come for you. I mean, if I were you, I would divide things up into good ideas and bad ideas, and then get rid of all the bad ideas. Okay, you know what? I'm gonna get my ass out of here. I can't take any more disrespect from you, okay? Okay. I won that one, bitches! Like, if I, if I got violent right now, like, if I just tore this place apart and left it in flames and you died in the flames, I, I don't think I would get, even get arrested. I feel like the cops would come up and be like, what happened? And I'd be like, oh, you can watch the video. And they would understand. Like, that must have been, that must have been humiliating for you. No, I thought that went really well. Hmm. Like the idea of committing to a bit like that where you got the wig and everything, <laughs> you're doing the voice, and you know that it's dying from the second you put it on its feet. Guaranteed. That's going to be one of the highlights of this episode. That, I mean, that might be true, but it's not saying a lot. I love you so much. Thank you. We're going to close it out with this final segment that's called Sax Talk. Oh. Sax. Comedians with uh, comedians with uh, with musical instruments always, I uh, just baffles me. Like even the, the like I used to tour with Nick Thune and he had a guitar that he had to carry through an airport and I was like, why 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 not just throw all your t-shirts in a bag and and check it and then never have to deal with it again? Uh, that seeing someone with a saxophone and I've seen you many times. I think more often than not with the saxophone. It's true. You've seen me a lot with the saxophone. Yeah. I would think that as soon as you got into comedy, like I can finally give up the saxophone. You know what? I did comedy for years and then I started incorporating the sax later on. I never do it in my stand-up. I keep those those worlds separate. Mm -hmm. I'm a purist. Mm -hmm. And um but I like to to use it because uh, I'm I'm a musical guy. So it's like it's like why not? I feel like I mean I kind of respect the saxophone, but only on a like you're standing on a fire escape in the middle of the night. Oh yeah. Just no shirt on covered in sweat, just belting it out. You just know, that's like the only fog sax rolling like. in. Mm-hmm. Maybe the moonlight reflecting mm-hmm. in my eyes. For sure. And you're just wailing away. Possibly sunglasses on, even though it's at nighttime. I would think definitely sunglasses, even though it's nighttime. Drip, especially because it's dripping nighttime. in oil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Work boots, but I've never worked a day in my life. Like in the eighties, that was a big thing. And then I remember the last time I've seen it. Did you ever see the Jim Carrey movie, The Number Thirteen, or it was just called Thirteen? Uh, Twenty-seven. 
It was, it was some some number, 23, the number 23. Yeah, it was number 23, yeah. where there's a scene where Jim Carrey does that, and I thought it was the funniest fucking thing I'd ever seen, that they brought it back. Just someone wailing away on the sax. Yeah, dude. Getting through their demons. Well, we're going to get through some demons right now with this, and uh, you're going to share a story of a sexual encounter, and I'm just going to follow you along. So whenever you're ready, I'll play along with you. Okay. Um, I think I can tell this one. Uh, when I like first moved to L.A., I think I came out here for like a summer in between junior and senior year for like an internship. And I was staying at a friend's house in Brentwood. And uh, the guy was like a friend from college. And his, uh, one of his friends from high school was this really cute girl who lived two houses down. We became friends with them. And one day I'm like looking for jobs while I'm in LA for weeks. I'm not finding a job. And I finally get a job, I swear to God, at The Gap in Westwood because I was living in Westwood and I had to, like, I could only walk to my, I didn't have a car in LA that summer. So I had to find a place I could walk to. And I was so happy to get a job that my friends and I bought a bunch of cases of beer and went back to Brentwood and went over to that girl's house. She was home, home alone and she had a hot tub. And I did not know that if you drink in a hot tub, you black out almost immediately because you get super dehydrated. And it's awful. And it's the middle of the afternoon. It's a hot day. I'm just drinking. I'm just pounding cold beers in this hot tub. And then I kind of like blink out for a second. And I come to. And all my friends are gone. Just me and this girl in the hot tub. And it seems like it's going well. And then I have another beer. And it's just like still like, it's like late afternoon at this point. And then I blank out again and all of a sudden it's night. And I'm on top of this girl. We're both fully clothed. We're making out. And I kind of like, just do like a quick check to see where the hell I am. And I am on the roof of her house. I don't know how I got in the roof of her house or why she took me up there but we are on the roof making out and I'm looking around like so confused, so drunk. And I just say, I've got to get out of here. And I'll never forget. She grabs me by both shoulders. She's not angry. She's not scared. Like she's, she's been enjoying making out with me, but she grabs me by the shoulders and she says, Anthony, you've said that a million times. You keep on saying you've got to get out of here. And then I slowly got off of her. And it took me maybe 30 minutes to get off the roof of her house because I didn't know how I even got up there. While she sat there just staring at me like with disappointment. And then I got off the roof and went over to my friend's house. And it was like, and I thought it was like two in the morning and it was 8.30 at night. And they were like, yeah, you, were, you weren't there that long. I don't know what happened to you, but uh, this was a total disaster. Is that how this usually goes? That was perfect. <laughs> that was perfect, Pam. Um, Dude, I think we can say this was probably one of the best interviews, probably one of the best podcasts that has ever been recorded. I mean, you know I have a podcast, right? Yeah. The Jezel Neck and Rosenthal Project. Vanity Project, JRVP. JRV. I left out Vanity because I knew that 
he was going to say it. Mm-hmm. So if you like this, you're going to fucking love a real podcast. You're going to love JRVP. Like, how many listeners or viewers would you say you have for this? Millions. Mm. Okay. Good improv. Good improv. This is like hey. the, this is like the new Rogan. Is what you're saying? Uh, dude, as soon as Rogan left YouTube, I took all his followers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What's this called? It's called Jeremiah Wonders. Now I have a buddy. This is the last question. Were you serious? I have a buddy. I have Jer- one. Jeremiah Wonders. Mm-hmm. Is this your first podcast? Did you have like different ones that were? Oh, before Jeremiah Wonders. Yeah. Years ago, I had one called The Building Years. And that was with my buddy, Justin Alexio. And we did that for uh, a few years. And we documented uh, the first handful of years of us as struggling stand-up comedians. Mm-hmm. And it was a weekly thing where we got like real deep, every audition nightmare story, every, every, basically we were just raw about everything. And it lives on my feed, on the Jeremiah Wonders feed, like on SoundCloud and iTunes. And there's like hundreds of episodes, but like, there's a core group of people who like that show, but that was so many years ago that they don't even know about it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Jeremiah Wonders, my main bread and butter right now, and Scissor Bros with uh, my buddy Stevie Weeby. So I've got two podcasts right now. You have a friend named Stevie Weeby? Yeah, Stevie Weeby. Steve Lee, it's Bobby Lee's little brother. Oh. I don't know what's real anymore. No, that's, that's real. This is final question. Bobby Lee's parents had two kids? Yeah. You don't, you've never met his brother? His younger brother? Older yeah, brother? younger brother. They had Bobby Lee, and then we're like, let's do this again? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And they got it right on the second time. Okay. This is last question, I promise. This is from somebody who uh, I've known for years, even before that we uh, became friends and we started hanging out and going and grab lunch and coffees and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's loved you for a long time, and I texted him before this. I was like, hey, Jeselnik's on the podcast do you have a question for him? He said, my main question for him would be on the roast of series that you've been on. Do you and the other comedian presenters write all of your own jokes or are there show writers or is it a hybrid collaboration? Good roasts are my favorite kind of com- comedy and Jeselnik is among the best. That's my buddy, Anthony Carroll. Um, hey, Anthony Carroll. Uh, I, I would say like I've ri- I wrote for a roast and then I did three of them. The comedians almost always. And I think sometimes there's celebrity comedians and the, the later roasts who had things written for them. It depends on when you come into the roast. If you're booked weeks in advance, you're writing all your own stuff. Uh, or if you're like, hey, listen, I can't come up with a joke for Pam Anderson. What do you got? Someone will help you. But all the best jokes have been given to the actual celebrities, not the comics. So I think for, I, I would say 90% of the time the comics are writing their own jokes. I think there was one joke in all the roasts I did where someone else wrote it for me because like day of, it was, like I had a joke about Jeff Ross and uh, he was supposed to be wearing like a suit. And so I wrote a joke about that and they're like, no, he's actually wearing a costume uh, like he has been doing. So you need another joke. And it was like the next day that I had all the writers just pitch me uh, different jokes. And I think Vanessa Ramos had the uh, had the best one that I used, one of her jokes. But I, I take it as like a, a point of pride, even in my own act and on roast to only do stuff that I come up with. Even if someone's like, it'd be better if you did this, I'd be like, probably, but I'm going to do it my way. So you won't uh, even take tags? No, stuff? I hate when someone's like, can I give you a tag? I say no, because then you're going to get it in my head. I'd rather gotcha. come up with that tag on my own. Organically, just like through like yes. nose of the grindstone kind of thing. Yes. And also they're usually really bad. 
people will be like, I have a joke only you can do. And it just sounds like a hate crime. I'm like, that's not, there's not even a joke. It's not <laughs> it's what I do. It's just a horrible statement. You're like, there's not even a punchline there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That I'm like, that now but I just say. it's your voice, Anthony. We, we got this. It has a dead baby in it. It's great. Even like famous comics have been like, switch these jokes around. Like you should do that or try saying this. Like yeah. Chris Rock once gave me, he was like, say this instead of that. And I said it and it totally tanked and I was so happy. Because it meant that I wouldn't be used. Because if it killed, I would have had to keep using it. Using Chris and, Rock's joke and not your own. And everyone backstage was like, it's so funny that you're like happy Chris's joke bombs. So you don't have to say it. Most people would be thrilled Any to other, have a Chris, Chris Rock joke. Chris Rock, he gave me a joke and it works. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, oh, I'll figure it out. Yeah. I like doing it uh, on my own. But yeah, I think most comics write their own stuff. Unless you like, they started cross-referencing other people's jokes that way like the last person wasn't just crossing shit out mm-hmm. so sometimes you'll show up and they're like this joke is already being told by someone before you yeah you need to replace it and that, that happens occasionally but i think for the most part they all do their own stuff well there you go anthony um and there you go anthony thank you so much for being here brother i love you i love uh always seeing you uh anytime i i get to run into you it's always a pleasure to uh watch your sets Anyway, I love your work. You know that. Thank you. I like you. Uh, I enjoy seeing you around the store. I enjoy getting to perform together occasionally. The wave is done. Are you still doing Roast Battle again? Are you coming back? Uh, no. Um, uh, I think, yeah, I think we're all like uh, not doing it anymore. And um, we, I mean, we haven't done it in a long time. So I don't think that we're going to do. Who knows? I never say never to stuff like reunions or whatever. I believe. But um, I believe you've never said no to anything. You'd be surprised hopefully we'll be on a uh, on a lineup together uh we were all actually we were on a lineup um on the or the other night but you were on you know a couple hours before me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i believe that yeah, yeah. Bro. always enjoy uh working with you and again i just our dynamic is fun of me just trashing you unless you're wearing a wig uh but I do think the funniest part of the podcast was me uh, pretending that I that, that the microphone didn't change my voice at all and watching your face uh doing that whole thing priceless mm-hmm See you soon. Do you want to go grab some lunch now? I'm not really, like, trying to make new friends. I'm not in the market. I'm going to go. You're like Drake. You're no new friends. Is that Drake's thing? Mm-hmm. I'm like Drake.